Hi, this is Sandy Rios on Sandy Rios 24-7. And yes, we're back home, back in the studio after uh, really almost a week at CPAC, certainly a week in D.C. There are a lot of things we can tell you about that, and we will. I've asked Bruce to join me this morning. What we're going to listen to today is uh, the audio of the panel I hosted at CPAC because it was pretty gripping, really. Uh, the, the I was hosting, but the panelists were Jerry Perna. Jerry is the aunt of Matthew Perna. Some of you may recall that I interviewed Jerry probably a year ago. It was a very powerful, difficult interview because Matthew actually took his own life. He took his life after the Justice Department signaled their their um, intention to add charges to his sentence. And it was going to be a felony. I think it was the one that uh, we're disrupting a, an official proceeding, which is, by the way, the Supreme Court is hearing the merits of that right now. But it's too late for him. It's too late for Matthew. And so we talk about this with Jerry and then also Jeff Clark. And Jeff, of course, is that former assistant attorney general, graduate of Harvard and Georgetown, uh, Kirkland and Ellis law firms. I mean, he's got a resume that's rich. And yet when he was dragged out by the FBI and stood in front of his home in Virginia in his blue shirt, his tie, and his underwear, they would not even let him. They made him come out on the driveway. They weren't even there to arrest him. They raided his home for what? Uh, for the purpose of humiliation, I think. So Jeff was on the stage with us, uh, and we'll talk to you about, uh, as we get into this, more about what his part in this was. You'll hear it as the panel uh, unfolds. So I hope you'll stay tuned. They called it the dust-up, by the way, which was just um, what it, it was really was a panel on the weaponization of the Justice Department. So that's a more uh, clear uh, description of what we actually discussed and so we'll do that in just a second. You know that you can call us at Sandy Rios 24-7 at 662-821-2040. That's 662-821-2040. You can go to Sandy at AFR.net. You can actually write me an email using that address, Sandy at AFR.net. We really enjoy reading those and sharing them on the air when it's appropriate. You can go to sandyreels.com, which is kind of a one-stop place. You can order my new book, um, God's Velvet Hammer. That's a real easy way to do it. Uh, but you can get it from Amazon or any, any place books are sold right now. Um, you can go to Facebook, which is Sandy Rios 24-7. We have, we're trying to, you know, um, I think we've had a lot of shadow banning through the years, so we're trying to counter that and renew that page, and we would love to have you come and join us there if you do Facebook, Sandy Rios 24-7. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Sandy Rios Tweet. It's a different format. You might not be used to it, but some of you are, so at Sandy Rios Tweet. Also, Instagram, we are Sandy Reels 24-7, and so we are in all those places. Plus, you can listen to the podcast at AFR.net. Of course, American Family Radio is my home base. Uh, but you can find it on any podcast platform that you that you use. So it's Sandy Reels 24-7. Um, you know, we talk about pre-born a lot on the show, and that's because we really believe in their mission. It's really simple. They want to save as many babies as they can from abortion, through ultrasounds, and also then sharing God's love. When a mom hears her baby's heartbeat on ultrasound, the majority of times she will choose life. In fact, stats say anywhere from 50% to 70% of the women carrying a child when they see their baby decide they, don't, they can't terminate. I think that's beautiful because they see pictures of their baby. 
sucking their thumb, the little heart, uh, maybe what gender it is. It's just amazing, and it's just too much, really. It becomes a human being for them, which it is, by the way. And so uh, if you would like to help preborn, and I hope you will. I know many of you have already. Uh, and I, I would guess, I'm guessing because I know a lot of you well, that you're ongoing supporters of preborn, and I hope that's what you'll become. Just make it a habit. It's $28 for one ultrasound. You can go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy, and make your most generous donation. Okay, meanwhile, sit back and relax. This was uh, last, it was Friday morning, very early, first session. Uh, and the and the main room at CPAC, and but some really interesting and grouping things were shared during this panel. So I hope you enjoy today's edition of Sandy Rios, twenty four seven, from American Family Radio. Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice, not social justice, but God's justice, what's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association, a pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Dust Up. Please welcome the aunt of Matthew Perna, Jerry Perna, Director of Litigation, Center for Renewing America, Jeffrey Clark, and your moderator, host of Sandy Rios 24 7, Sandy Rios. Good morning. You're up early. I think we can sit, right? Yeah, we sit. Um, you know, I'm, an old, I'm a radio host, so I always have to have notes. So sorry. I said my security blanket. But I was thinking, and I was, as I was preparing for this, when I was growing up, uh, one of my favorite weekly shows, this will tell you how, how old I am, was Superman, the old Superman. And it always would start with, look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Superman. Then it goes on to explain that he comes as a mild-mannered newspaper reporter, really champion. He's disguised as that, but he's come uh, to seek truth, justice, and the American way. Well, that's the way some of us grew up. We actually understood that. Justice for all people, blind justice. Truth, justice, and the American way. Well, I have to say that for Janu- on January the 6th of 2020, 2021, we saw something we had never seen in this country. We saw the beginnings. We had no idea, but it was the beginnings of the perversion of justice. We saw our, the arm of justice, the FBI. We saw all the tentacles of the Justice Department, the thousands of employees there, turn their wrath on regular American people. And then we saw them turn their wrath on people who were associated with the person that actually they were after, and that was the President of the United States, Donald Trump. Uh, They wanted him destroyed, and in order to destroy him, they've tried to destroy Americans and people that love America. It's so 
um, twisted and bizarre. It really is what they call a color revolution in our country. We're going to talk about two different phases here this morning. Um, one of those, well, I just want to give you some stats. Julie Kelly spoke yesterday. Don't you love Julie? I know, what would we do without her exposing, uh, you know, that she's a great journalist, and they're few and far between. 1,350 people have been charged. This is according to Joe Biden, because he was bragging about it. Uh, 900 of those people at J6, there was a few million that went to support the president, and to, they were concerned about how the election was uh, conducted. We all saw it during the count that night, the election night, in my whole life. I've never seen the counting shut down and the chicanery that took place. We knew something was wrong. Uh, so uh, lots of people, like you and me, went to say, we've got to do something about this. And of those people that went, 900 now were not only arrested, but they pled guilty. Many of them were forced to do that, by the way, uh, re-educated um, and uh, convicted. And they are now serving a combined 840 years in prison. And uh, as I heard Joe Biden say that, he's pretty happy about it. So there we are. This is the color revolution. Well, I want to turn <clears throat> first to um, Jerry Perna, who's uh, to our far, my far left. Jerry's nephew, Matthew, was one of those people at the Capitol. And um, just one young man out of millions, age 37. And uh, I would just say that uh, shortly after, maybe two years later, Jerry can uh, make this clearer, uh, Matthew committed suicide. I want to talk about him today because I want you to know who he was. He's a, an example of the kind of nefarious, the results of the power grab by the elites in this country, the deep state. Uh, it has, it's cost real lives. So, Jerry, you were Matthew's aunt, and thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, I always like it when you tell, tell us about Matthew, because they all become demonized. They're all, you know, we see the videos, and they're angry, and they're waving things, and we don't think of them as individuals. So where, what was Matthew doing? What was his life like before that day? Matthew was extraordinary. He had traveled the world. He had a love for people of all races, religions, creeds, anything. He loved old people. He loved talking to old people. He always said how much you can learn from talking to your elders. He was a respectful person who believed in our country. He loved our country. And he went to January 6th because he thought he was going to be part of a historical moment. And instead, it was a day that ruined his life and so many others as well. Just as I recall, because you and I have discussed this before, we've had a wonderful interview, I'll never forget. You talked about his education. I mean, he was highly skilled. He wasn't um, at Penn State, something like that. Tell him about that. Matthew graduated from Penn State and Penn State University toward the top of his class, and he went on to um, teach English in other countries. He went to Thailand and South Korea, and he taught English to school children. Um, he read constantly, often two and three books at a time he was reading. He was forever with a book in his hand. He was highly intelligent. He wasn't the epitome of what they're making out the January Sixers to be, a bunch of hillbilly, MAGA-loving idiots, the way the media portrays them. He was very intelligent, and um, this world lost when he died. 
So Jerry, people of course want to know, they always ask and want to know and deserve to know, what did Matthew do for heaven's sake? What did he do in that capital? Matthew walked through the capital with a cell phone in his hand recording. And recently, Speaker Johnson released a smidgen of the surveillance tapes that um, showed Matthew walking just like he said he did, calmly through the Capitol, passing by six Capitol Police officers and even giving them a little uh, raise of his fist in solidarity and support. That's what he did. And he was criminalized for it. Yes. Did the FBI come to, your ho to his house? The FBI did after he turned himself in. Matthew turned himself in the morning he found out he was on their website. So we can't tell every detail, but this is a tragic story. Can you, in a sentence or a paragraph, tell us what brought Matthew to the point of taking his own life? You know, that's, that's funny you bring that, because I did bring a note card with me, because this sums it up. I sacrificed my freedom when I entered the Capitol building on January 6th and in despair took my own life the night that I wrote this, signed Matthew Perna. This is my nephew's suicide note that was found in his Bible. He stood up for his rights, and it cost him his life. As I recall, they had him in a kind of confinement at home. And even your friends and neighbors, I'm not saying everyone, but a lot of people in your community turned against him because the headlines and the way he was portrayed. And he went into depression. And then the Justice Department added another charge. And that was like the final straw, as I remember, Jerry. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. And so, well, uh, there are no words. But that's an example of what our Justice Department has done and the FBI, which is part of the Justice Department. And speaking of the FBI, the man sitting next to me is the former assistant attorney general. Uh, he has gone all the way back to the Bush years. He's held some incredible posts. He graduated from Harvard and Georgetown. And yet, uh, one of the outlets that wrote about him after he ran uh, in the crosshairs of the Justice Department, it was called The Man With No Pants. Because, oh, he's been called a Trumpist. You see, I think of Saul Alinsky, who was the radical communist agitator who wrote uh, Rules for Radicals. Target and make it personal, said Saul Alinsky. And Jeff, that's what they did to you. Well, uh, as many times as I hear Jerry's story, it always gets to me. So I would just ask everyone in the audience or who's watching to pray for Jerry and her family. And Thank you. So, Sandy, uh, yes, I mean, they've tried to destroy me, but I'm still standing, and I'm going to keep fighting. I had my house raided in June of 2022 by the agents of the Inspector General's office. They were uh, in flak jackets. They had all kinds of weaponry. Uh, they had electronic-sniffing dogs they brought into my house. Luckily, my family was not there. I, I don't think that my wife would have taken it well. Uh, and they even refused to show me the warrant. I had to have a whole Fourth Amendment argument with them about that. And, it, and your attorney at Justice Department. I was, I, was, I was a leader of the Justice Department. I had, there are seven litigating divisions at Maine Justice. I had charge of two at the same time. I was the only <laughs> assistant attorney general who had that span of authority, and that was a total of 1,400 lawyers and 
countless support staff. So a mere 18 months later under the Biden administration, I'm subjected to this indignity, including, uh, not that I, I want this to uh, you know, be my selling point, uh, that they pulled me out without allowing me to get fully dressed. You even asked them and they refused to let you do that. That is just, that's how disgusting this all is. Yeah, Same I mean, but I, different with Jerry. It's, I mean, obviously, Matthews is, has a tragic ending, but this is part of the destructive phase. It's to destroy, in any way, reputations and life. And the reason why they did that was because I was the only leader in the Justice Department who wanted to investigate the 2020 election with energy and drive and to look at all of the possible problems with that election, and there were a lot of them. There are legal problems in terms of the states changing their election laws without going through the state legislatures, which is unconstitutional. They were just flat out disobeying state election laws in many of the battleground states. And then I think there were also issues with uh, mail-in ballots, very serious issues with mail-in ballots. And there were also issues worth looking at about electronic voting machines. And I think all of my colleagues were very interested in just moving on to return to uh, their wealthy lives in private practice. And by sticking my head up out of the trench, I became a major target, and that's why they came after me. Yes, it's interesting uh, that he wasn't your boss at the time, but William Barr had been your boss, the attorney general. And after the election, of course, he makes this famous declaration that there was no vote. They looked into everything, and there was no, no malfeasance, no voter fraud, whatever his words were. What were your thoughts when that happened, Jeff? I wondered what investigations they had actually done. And indeed, I uh, demanded to see the investigations, and I was never shown them, which is telling. Yeah. And I will also tell you that Bill Barr testified to the January 6th committee that he saw three categories of issues. One were the state legislature's uh, laws being changed by other bodies in the state other than the state legislatures, which I think is unconstitutional, and many agree with me. The second area was violations of state election law that had been set in advance and then violated due to this COVID cover. And then third were issues of whether, you know, there's some kind of form of ballot stuffing. He said he only looked at the latter. And I can also tell you, from what I've seen of public records the amount of things that were looked at, even in that third category, was very small. So two categories entirely ignored. So I want to, and you you presented a letter to President Trump. Uh, You asked your superiors at the time if the uh, Justice Department could investigate, and we could declare that we are investigating this. And then you presented a letter to President Trump to the officials in Georgia, because Georgia was particularly notorious it still is. And uh, for that, you, the letter was never sent. The president said, let's don't send it. And that is exactly why they came. Isn't that the catalyst for why they came? The letter, they actually charged you with thinking about sending this letter. So here I should uh, caution you that just recently, President Trump and January 4th sent me a letter that all of this is covered by executive privilege, law enforcement privilege, attorney-client privilege, deliberative process privilege. Indeed, I have to go to a hearing in the D.C. Court of Appeals today at 1 p.m. about my case, because they're trying to take my bar license, where the topic of executive privilege may come up. My colleagues in the Justice Department, the reason why you know this is because colleagues in the Justice Department, in my view, violated all of those privileges and ran to talk to the January 6th committee, which I refused to cooperate with because it was such a sham. 
Your, your rest. Yeah, yes. You weren't even arrested, were you? They no, were just was, going through your home when they dragged you out. Without, I was never arrested, okay. although they took a picture of me standing in my driveway yeah. with my hands behind my back because I was thinking about my Fourth Amendment arguments, and CNN put that out to give the misleading impression I had been arrested and handcuffed. Well, and of course, it's again the Saul Alinsky target and, you know, destroy. And so, so that now the right is the right. They don't get that category. But anyway, the Justice Department is employing those methods. But uh, you then were charged with racketeering with the 18 others in Georgia. And uh, as we know, Fanny, Fanny, what Willis, uh, the whole story behind her is pretty sordid, and we're waiting to hear that. How do you think, Jeff, that will affect uh, the, the outcome of, you, of the 18 of you? I know each is different. I recognize that. But do you think that'll have a big effect on the charges of racketeering? Your charges of racketeering for, for, for thinking about sending that letter. That the, is really what the charge is. He thought about sending a letter. The whole thing is absurd. <laughs> Most of the 19 people don't even know each other. So the idea that we had formulated some kind of short-term uh, mafia to hijack the elections is ridiculous. Uh, you know, but that hasn't stopped the New York Times from claiming that I was one of the coup plotters in chief along with my friend John Eastman and President Trump, et cetera, Rudy Giuliani, et cetera. And I've never met Rudy Giuliani. So uh, the whole thing's crazy, and you know, it should collapse of its own weight. And in particular, in both the, uh, my case, President Trump's case, and Mark Meadows, who was the White House chief of staff, we all should be immune from that prosecution because the states shouldn't be able to reach into the federal government and regulate federal officials. It's, it's a total legal absurdity. There are so many legal absurdities, too, like not protecting the president's executive privilege. That's right now. The SCOTUS is considering two cases regarding this right now, I believe, right? There, the, the issue of immunity is before them. The issue in terms of what happened to the J6ers of 18 U.S.C. 1512 C2, the issue of uh, applying this crime of obstructing an official proceeding, which is a total overreach. Which they made a felony, which now is added years and years to these. A lot of people yes. did nothing but walk through the Capitol. And, you know, if that case uh, is reversed, if the, the rulings of the lower court are reversed there, then half of the indictment against President Trump by Jack Smith in D.C. goes away. Excuse me, and let's talk about that. Because if that gets reversed, don't get me wrong, I will be thrilled for the defendants from January 6th, if that gets reversed. But that will mean that my nephew, Matthew Perna, killed himself over something that was unjustly charged against him. And this government, and this DOG, DOJ, needs to pay for this. No, no argument, I think, from anyone in this audience, unless it might be some members of the media. I, uh, Jerry, this, that's why we're talking. The injustices are breathtaking. And that's why our country is in such turmoil and people are upset. And the, the real heroes, uh, I think, and doesn't mean that no, let's just say, some of our real heroes were there on January the 6th, actually putting their lives on the line when they saw the police attacking the people. It's, it's a sordid story, and I would recommend the Epoch Times recent video on this, just if you're not sure about some of the details we can't get into. Uh, Jerry, do you keep in touch with other families 
uh, J6 families? There are several J6 families that I keep in touch with. Can you give us an idea of some other, quickly, of some other circumstances? I get messages through Twitter almost weekly from January 6 defendants who are, ta who are talking to me about taking their lives. Oh. I get this all the time. And just last year, Jordan Meacham shot himself, 22-year-old kid, killed himself, a January 6 defendant. And I did say when Matthew died, there will be other ones. There will be more suicides. They are pushing these people to the brink of insanity. There are organizations that help these people. Patriot Freedom Project is one that I have reached many family members who are going through what my nephew did. And I really wish there were organizations like that when he was going through it, because they would have been priceless to have someone to talk to who's going through the same set of circumstances. It's, it's priceless to have that. Um, no one should be pushed to the brink of suicide by our country ever, a country that he loved. There is another source, Patri yes, patriotmailproject.com is a place where you can write to these guys. And some of them are still in solitary confinement right here in the DC jail. It is ridiculous. Some have been held for almost three years. You, you just, if you haven't been following this, you have no idea. And so I think the question, you know, I don't know, there's an answer to this, but the thing that occurs to me is everyone, you know, the talking heads are all talking about Putin. And I'm not a lover of Putin. I, communism is not our friend. It's horrific, and that's what they're trying to institute here. Let me make that clear. Putin is a dictator, but he is, a, you know, now, uh, the, the newest criticism, of course, that people are disappearing or being killed. Well, that's terrible. But what are we doing here? What is President Biden doing here? What are our congress, congressmen doing? Sitting by and actually doing hardly any. There's a few of them, but very few. They need to do something. You know, they need to do something. This is awful. Recently, recently, I had the honor of being in Dinesh D'Souza's movie, Police State. And the tagline for the movie, Police State, was, are we living in a police state? Yes, we are. And you'd have to be blind not to see that your freedoms are being taken away every day in this country. And no one is doing a damn thing about it. Well, I think people are waking up. I, I guess, uh, no, I realize the people, the powers that be have been really slow to come to the party, especially in Congress. Trust me, I did what I could. I still am to shake those trees. And some have come around, but early on they wouldn't do anything. And with Jeff, I don't know who you're, I don't know who's, uh, defending you guys, you guys are experiencing, I know John Eastman, the, the debt that you guys are going into, you know, your families, they want total destruction. And so this is the path that we're on. I think I would say that uh, the God that we serve, the God of the, our founding fathers, is a God of justice. And he will, at some point, bring justice, either in this life or the next. <laughs> Quickly, any final word from you, Jeff? Uh, so I would say, look, the, the grave injustice of what's happened to many of the January 6th defendants is apparent. It violates basic principles of uh, congruence and proportionality. In other words, crimes are being applied that are not intended to apply to them. That's the story of this 1512C2, and it's up at the Supreme Court. And then proportionality, they're being punished far out of uh, line with anything that they did and that is a glaring injustice, especially as compared to what happened to Antifa and BLM, 
who burned down cities, yes. caused billions of dollars of damages. I was in charge of a, of a task force related to monitoring what was happening at the Mark Hope, uh, Hatfield Courthouse in Portland, Oregon, attacked night after night, including with commercial-grade uh, fireworks, with ball bearings, smashing the windows. That lawlessness went largely unpunished. Somehow what happened on January 6th for just a few hours is being treated as if it's the worst crime ever. It's totally unjust. All right, so we're in conclusion, let me just say this. You can't fix all of this. None of you individually, none of us, you can't fix what's happened to the J6ers. You can't fix what's happening to John Eastman and Jeff. You can't fix all of that, but you can do something. I always say, say something, do something, speak out. You can pick one thing and you can do it. You can give some money to a cause that is ringing at your heart. You can help. You can call your congressman. Just don't stop doing something. And God willing, with his help and his blessing, will save this union and restore justice. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. I'm sure you're all familiar with the decision out of Alabama that's actually going to affect in vitro fertilization, which has become so mainstream in the country. Sometime I'll talk about that more and give you some insight uh, into my feelings about that or my convictions about it. Uh, In Alabama, they have ruled that uh, the in vitro, the embryo is a person, is a baby. Well, I agree. I agree with that. Absolutely. But I have to tell you, that means that this issue is going to be dynamite for the left in the upcoming elections. You, you can just see it, can't you? Because there's confusion about in vitro. We have accepted as though it, we have, we have accepted it as though it's just, uh, we think because it's legal, it's okay, and it's moral. And I've had questions about it for years. Um, so there's going to be a fight royale in the upcoming election, and I think uh, it's possible that we may, we may feel earthquakes uh, in the pro-life movement, uh, those of us that believe life is sacred even in the womb. And for that reason, I honestly, I've made this point before, I'll, I will make it again. I think preborn may end up being our last hope for saving the lives of babies. We may not be able to do it through the law. We may not be able to elect politicians who are committed to life like we are. It may not be possible, and that's where preborn takes over because preborn doesn't go through politicians. They don't need permission. Uh, they show the moms who are carrying these babies the, the ultrasound of their baby, and the, and the women make the choice for themselves. It's pretty powerful. It's kind of a, it's a beautiful twist, a wonderful twist on saving lives. And they actually do save lives. If you would like to help them do this, uh, I believe this is a great way to place your money if you're pro-life. It's preborn.com slash Sandy. Go to preborn.com slash Sandy and make your most generous donation. Hi, this is Sandy Rios, and I miss you in the mornings. But now I'm hosting a podcast, Sandy Rios 24-7, which is available at AFR.net and SandyRios.com. Well, I finally finished that book. God's Velvet Hammer chronicles God's call in my life from a small-town girl to Berlin, Germany, Radio Moscow to North Korea to Washington, D.C. I talk about Sasha Girl. It was my disabled daughter. I talk about, I got the music in me. That's a chapter on my music life. 
Lost in India and Other Adventures is hilarious. You won't want to miss it. I talk about my sweetheart, the blessing of Bruce, and then a mysterious chapter called My Green Face and the end of it all. Oh, I think you'll enjoy it. Like the Apostle Paul, these are my shipwrecks and my adventures, all for Christ and his kingdom. God's Velvet Hammer is available wherever books are sold. And remember, Sandy Rios 24-7 is available at AFR.net and SandyRios.com. I was so happy uh, when Match Lab and the CPAC team asked me to host that panel because really that's that's my bailiwick, is it not? I mean, how many days of my radio show and my podcast have I spent on J6? In fact, I'm due to spend another time on J6 uh, or two or three. Uh, we need to revisit that again because no one hardly is covering this. And so I was so happy and so grateful. And Jeffrey Clark, I was so uh, grateful to be able to meet Jeffrey and have that time with him because he's been so vilified and demeaned, uh, not just by the situation of being pulled out in his underwear, but they, they described in the, the regular press as like a nobody, like an insignificant person, which uh, his, his resume and his credentials and his experience are the opposite of that. Uh, but this is what they do, they, meaning the left, they're masterful at that. And so I was happy to get a chance to talk to him. Um, Jerry, of course... Um, you know, I don't want to overstate this, but I would just say that when we did our first interview, there was a lot of tears. I mean, we talked afterwards, too. It was just, um, so I was glad to see her again because she's in a better place now, not so bitter and angry. Uh, I just want to tell you, she's in a better place, but still that family needs your prayers because they're trying to heal from this. You know, suicide is uh, has a particularly twist uh, on grief. You know, it's, it's in many ways, worse than just a death or even death by someone else's hand. Uh, and so that family needs your prayers, as do the other families of J6ers. And the other J6ers, we mustn't forget them. And I'll just tell you something fun about Jeff Clark. When I met him behind, before, just before we went out on stage, he told me he used to listen to Sandy Rios in the morning when he was taking his kids to school. <laughs> so that was kind of fun. All right, I've asked Bruce to join me because uh, he was there with me. Um, it was early in the morning. I don't know, honey, what you thought about the panel. Well, I thought it was great. Um, very compelling. Uh, Jerry Perna, um, I thought she really struck a, really struck a chord with people about what's happened to these J6ers. And of course, Jeffrey Clark, as you said, he, he, ha he has been demeaned beyond belief. Uh, as Sandy said, check his resume. Look at the things he's done in his life how he's led the Justice Department. And all he was doing was he had the uh, guts when President Trump was searching for someone to give him legal advice, he stepped into the breach. As When you're in the Department of Justice, you're working for the president. I mean, you have to follow the law, but when the president asks you for advice, you are supposed to give him advice. And we had several people who really sabotaged Trump um, and of course, because Jeffrey Clark chose to help President Trump, the press went after him. Well, and I think I would broaden it. I mean, yes, he did. But he thought, he saw what happened during the election. He was very concerned. And I have to add, keep this in mind. He was the only attorney in the Justice Department who had the guts, including the attorney general, who declared there was nothing wrong with that election. And uh, Jeffrey said in that uh, in our panel, that he wasn't sure how much they examined it. Well, I have it on good authority that they didn't look 
at anything. That's what well, um, my e- other experts have told me. Yeah, and what you're talking about is is the voter fraud. Yes. Um, that's where Jeffrey really ran afoul of the left is, um, if you recall, Bill Barr was the attorney general, and he kept saying, we've looked at all the evidence, and there's nothing there, when in reality, later it came out that the evidence wasn't looked at at all. I think Barr was just afraid to look at the evidence. You know, Jeff Clark had the guts yeah. to try to look at it, and that's where he really got whacked. Yeah, he said, we should be involved in this. There are problems. We need to be looking. The Justice Department needs to be looking into these complaints that are coming to us. Uh, and I would also add just about Bill Barr. He had said something quite the opposite on a, an interview, I believe, one of those Sunday morning shows probably a month before that or maybe two weeks before that, that there were problems with the election. And then he did a complete about-face, and it, uh, yeah. But Jeff Clark, you know, I also want to paint another picture, Bruce, because I remember our good friend Jay Christian Adams, who used to host my morning show for me when I would be gone. He's been a friend for years. He runs Public Interest Legal Foundation. He's working on the elections all over the country, trying to sort things out and trying to, it's law in the laws. He's trying to, uh, Make sure that the laws on the books are um, are are upheld, and so that's what Christian is doing now. But back when Obama was president, Christian did a series of articles about the hundreds of radical leftists Barack Obama appointed to be part of Justice Department. He had their names, their photos, their backgrounds. Uh, they were literally Marxists. They were from all over the world, not, you know, um, different names, you know, like Chivan, Jula, you know, that, not that that mean person can be a strong American and have those names. But I'm telling you, that's what Barack Obama did. And before he left office, he quickly made all of those employees that he had assigned or chosen, he made them permanent employees of the government. And so that's who's sitting there. That's who's doing a lot of what is happening now, and I think probably it's like uh, the people in charge are probably afraid of them, kind of like uh, Joe Biden is kind of afraid of his left, and so he's doing their bidding, like the Islamists and uh, the Hamas supporters. It's That's the way it works. The loud voices who threaten often get their way, and I think that's maybe what's happening in justice. Uh, oh, and I do, there's one story that broke just at, as you and I were talking this morning, Bruce, uh, that uh, the Justice Department, you know, Julie Kelly in our interview said that they they have targeted, they want to arrest one more person per day that was uh, at the Capitol on January 6th. They're not done. Uh, they've uh, charged uh, 1,300 and something uh, people, and now they want to add more. So what is that story, honey? I just I got to see the headline, well, and that just, was it. just Friday... Um, one of the J6ers was sentenced, a, a gentleman by the name of Chris Kuhn. And basically on January 6th, he went through the Capitol. He did not destroy anything. In fact, they have video. He went in the Capitol, did not harm anything. He cleaned trash off the floor. He helped stop people that were trying to steal things from the building. And he asked people to leave the building. And he actually asked Capitol Police officers how he could help them. Now, just to give you a little background on Mr. Kuhn, he's a 22-year metal, uh, 22-year military veteran. He's received the Purple Heart, a Navy Commendation Medal with Valor, and the Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal with Valor for actions in combat. And again, Sandy, these are the types of people that uh, are pervasive in these J6ers. We are arresting veterans. We are arresting police officers. We are arresting people that 
did nothing more that day than walk through the Capitol. And so with bearing that in mind, that that's what Mr. Kuhn is, uh, is accused of doing, um, here's what happened. About a month after J6, uh, Chris and his family were at home. They have a four-year-old child, and his wife was pregnant. And they woke up in the early morning hours to uh, lights flashing, uh, oscillating lights from emergency vehicles, 20 FBI agents armed to the teeth, banging on his door, laser sights uh, put on them once the coon and his family opened the door. Uh, The family was dragged out. This is in Kansas. It was 12 degrees the day that this happened. And he made his wife and his child come outside. He was taken outside. The entire block was full of emergency vehicles with lights going. There were three, three large armored tactical vehicles parked in front, side, and back of his yard. And when uh, he was taken, when Kuhn was taken into custody, uh, again, they were pointing lasers at him. They pointed lasers at his child. They pointed lasers at his wife. Now, that's, that's a weapon being pointed at somebody when a laser goes on you. And you know what he was charged with? He was char- ended up charged with a misdemeanor. He was parading. Um, and he was sentenced this last Friday. He got 75 days in prison, and he got 60 days of home detention and two years probation. Now, I can tell you, the government does not do this to normal people that are looking at 75 days in prison. Oh. Normally what they'll do is they'll, they'll call the person and say, we have a warrant for your arrest. We want you to, we want you to surrender yourself. Here's where you can come and do that. Here's the time you can do it. And if you have an attorney, have them contact us. Uh, this is a total messaging that was done by the Department of Justice. This is a strong-arm tactic to send a message to other Trump supporters uh, that you go to a Trump rally, uh, support Trump, um, talk about election interference, we'll come and get you. Yes, and that's what they're doing. And now they're, you know, they're, they've been relying. They have a whole team of civilians helping the Justice Department. They've been combing Facebook, combing all the social media posts to find anyone who said anything about being there. So they're down to that. And look, listen to that. That's just amazing. And I think part of the part of that story, too, was you mentioned it, but he kept, they, the FBI kept his wife out in the cold with their four-year-old for hours yeah, and, while they went through the house. And you know what? The very next day, here's the worst part of it, actually. The very next day after they were forced out of the house, his wife had a miscarriage. <sighs> now, I... I can't, and you know, uh, talking about Matthew Perna from your panel, um, what what the government is doing right now is they have these people in custody from January 6th or they have them on home detention. And for the most part, they're charged with misdemeanors. And instead of adjudicating their cases, they're letting them languish. And now what they've done is, is the Justice Department, is they're starting to threaten adding this charge we're talking about, which is um, obstruction of an official proceeding. Now, if you're looking at parading charges, the most you're looking at is six months in jail. But if they enhance it to include this obstructing charge, that's up to five years in prison. It's a felony, too, right? And they're getting, yeah, it is a felony. Anything over a year in prison is a felony. So what's being done is 
these people are saying, you know, I did nothing more than walk through the Capitol. I don't even want to plead guilty to parading. So, so what the government is doing is saying, okay, you don't want to plead, uh, plead guilty to parading? How about obstruction of an op- official proceeding? Now you're looking at five years in prison. And so, of course, most logical people say, well, I don't want to chance that. And especially when they appear in D.C. in front of these judges there, they're going to be found guilty. So uh, they're pleading guilty to these charges, and Biden is puffing up his chest and saying, we've arrested this many people, and they've spent this many years in prison. And, yeah, because they're being strong-armed. And I've been a prosecutor. Uh, Yeah, you, you use leverage on people sometimes, but not if it's illegitimate leverage. And as you said, this case is in front of the Supreme Court right now, whether this obstruction of an official proceeding is a proper charge to be applied to the January 6th situation. And I have to tell you, I think they're going to come down on the, on the side of it is not proper. Well, and that's going to affect hundreds of J6ers uh, in, a, in a favorable way. And I think they'll be, as Julie Kelly said, I think the courts will then be flooded. Um, I hope it works out this way. With J6ers now coming back for, you know, to have things reconsidered because many of them are shot away for decades, Bruce. I mean, it's just horrible what they've done to those mostly men, although it's not all men. In fact, I'm going to be hopefully interviewing a female who's getting ready to be sentenced for, for I think it's five years. She's a grandmother, and I hope to talk to her really soon. But that's uh, the way it is right now. Yeah, and for people like uh, Matthew Perna, it's too late. Matthew's gone. Well, as I ended the panel and I talked about God's justice, you know, I meant every word of that. Not everyone at CPAC is a follower of Christ. I know that many are, uh, in varying degrees of whatever that means. But I thought people needed to be reminded, as I try to remind you as often as I can, that the God that we serve and the God of our fathers, more broadly for people in a political gathering like that, Uh, is a God of justice, and that's why our founding fathers set up so carefully a justice system, lady justice, that was blind. That doesn't mean it always worked. That doesn't mean there weren't some injustices along the way, but that was the standard. Blind justice, fairness, uh, the application of the law to people no matter their standing, their color, their race, their religion, and that has been the standard for decades. And now we are watching the weaponization of the Justice Department. I hope you uh, learned something and uh, benefited from this. I hope you'll share it with your friends. Uh, Today's edition of Sandy Rios 24-7.